0: You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and we are here in our final week discussing Death in the House of Rain by Shu Yan Lin. Woo! Herds. Yeah, yeah, Flex. What a miserable ending. And I mean that in the, the best way possible. I really, I really liked the ending of this book, but gosh, it is sad.
1: Look, I wouldn't say miserable. I would say melancholy.
0: Uh-huh. I think that's fair.
1: It's the same feeling you get when you're sitting in a dark room looking out the rain drizzling down the windows. It's not overwhelming grief, but it is sadness and it is melancholy and it is, you know, this all could have been prevented and what is our detective even doing in this story? Like, it's it's a great time. I really enjoy how many of the characters' fates are left hanging in the wind because this story, like, it wraps up. It has a very strong emotional ending in the, the epilogue where we, you know, return to the scene of the original crime a year ago. We resolve all of that. But it doesn't entirely wrap up every loose thread, which I think is a, is a very bold choice.
0: Well, yeah, because we sort of deal with the aftermath of the one actual murder that happens in this story to kick us off, which is that Renze Bai, thinking that he needs to get revenge for something that it turns out didn't really happen the way that he thought it did, has killed Ting Shi Yan. It's so fascinating (laughs) having what is effectively the main murder of the story happen Right at the end.
1: Yeah. I mean, let me, let me tell you when I was trying to figure out how to, how to split up this book, it was like, I was biting my nails the entire time being like, how much of this book, like, should I give you, how much do you need to say that we've actually read a murder mystery? Because technically there is there, well, there are, there are two murdered bodies murdered by another person bodies, you know, in the prologue, but for the actual body of the story, the only conscious cognizant murder occurs right near the end literally in in part two of of the novel
0: yeah and i like the way that as you're saying we have all of these characters fates sort of left up in the air we don't really know what roping is able to get for these characters so there's just this overwhelming sense of uncertainty we don't get to know what bing yu actually had happen with uh Zhen yu zhang just it is kind of around, like, his soliloquies are sort of foreshadowing in some ways for the tone of the end of the novel, which doesn't actually have anything to do with him.
1: Well, that's the thing, he, he gets the final word in the- at the end of part two, before the epilogue, which is titled The Last Soliloquy, but Zhenyu Zhang has the last word where he says that he really wanted to murder Renze Bai, but roping's, like, stopped him. It's like a poison teacup, it's a whole thing. But- Xen Yu Yang says, wow, I can't believe that I didn't get to murder that guy. I am now delegated to being a nobody. And in a way, like he was inconsequential to the story. He was the man in the walls who scurried about and saw clues. And he did sort of accidentally kill Lingxia, which is part of the theme of the characters who are supposedly in love with each other. I would say infatuated is a better term the lover pairs where it's a very one-sided kind of pair, the males, they kill their targets of their affection. It, it damns the female characters to death. It damns the male characters to lose the object of their affection. It, it damns them to lose their lady that they wanna be with. And I think that that is very telling about the gender roles in this book, but it's very clearly condemning all of these characters it's clear that they are committing these crimes and, and their lives are turning out poorly because of outside influences. And that's something that Roping Lin describes as as fate or the divinities. He notably doesn't say that the house killed everyone, because that's what I would have said. I would have said, oh, man, the house is the real killer. And it is. But that's
0: not how Roping phrases it. Well, yeah, because the house's role is sort of the weather, as is implied by its name. Like... Most other murder mysteries where the the weather comes in and locks everyone in place, at some point the storm passes, normally at the end of the story, and we exit back out into the real world. The House of Rain is the storm in this story, and so it is inescapable. We never actually step back out into the real world. Our story ends with that moment of soliloquy from Zhang, and then we cut back a year into the past and just see the previous year's storm. Like, it is it is unending and relentless.
1: Yeah, there's no real catharsis at the end of this story. We don't even catch a killer, right? That's That, that ties into that theme. And I, I will say there is a moment where we, we don't step outside, but we see what's happening outside of the house. When we, we call the police at one point and the police say, well, we'd love to come and help you, but- there are other people dying in the storm. Like there was like a landslide that killed hundreds of people. We need to go and deal with that. That's more important than your murder mystery, shindig you're having up, having up in the mountains. You know, like the the sadness that these carriages are experiencing pales in comparison to what a natural disaster can do. And as you say, the, the house itself is emblematic of that, that natural force of inevitable death
0: right i was also thinking about that line from earlier in the book where it was saying that like only poets enjoy the rain sure and like i i think there's something so excellent the further you get into the book about that line because there is something harrowingly beautiful about this just cacophony that envelops this entire cast the like pressure of this dense storm causing landslides pushing the cast more and more and also covering for them with like the sounds of what they're doing being masked it is in its application very poetic but the book really tries its hardest to like show you how that's not beautiful and i kind of love that
1: well there's a a feeling to me that to be a poet in this sense. I love poets and murder mysteries. They're always the killer because they're, it's like, why would you kill that person? Because it just made sense in my artistic brain. But that's that's kind of the vibe though, that, that these these murders aren't happening for any logical practical means. And only someone who can understand the the beauty of the rhythm between the past and the present murders and the intent of the architect, you know, can really enjoy something like this and something like murder mystery. I'm sure I've mentioned it previously, but the the author, Shu Yan Lin is a, a philosopher and that's the stance that Ro Ping Lin takes in the story. Like when he, when he flicks one of the ants out of the line, he says, you need not be God to solve a murder mystery, which is the best line in the book. He's thinking about in that moment, if I were an ant and I simply couldn't see the ant in front of me anymore they just disappeared into some kind of locked room how would I feel how does that ant feel and I I love that on our scale we are being asked to empathize with these characters who are being killed in what ostensibly a very tropey horror movie elevator accidents <laughs> right
0: I suppose we do have to touch on the final scene of the book where we get to see what happened to yuyun and her family and that is it's rough harrowing yeah because it turns out that you know her father killed her mother she killed her father and then killed herself and then her mother's lover like there's some necrophilia it's just it is it is so much to pummel into the end of this book Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting the 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 sense that as it's happening you're sort of like mm yep okay i i see what's coming here Yeah, it's just so gruesome. Especially that like scene of her hugging her like is it like a teddy bear? A doll, yeah. As this fishing wire that we found in the first locked room a year later is pulling tight against her neck. It's what what an image, what a perspective to put us in in that moment. It's oh, it's a lot. Honestly, like reading the opening part
1: of the story, I feel like you're not supposed to think about her too much. The the drama is centered around the man and the wife cheating on each other and the guy with the broken arm. And she is an object. She is the corpse who is defiled after the fact. She adds tragedy to the scene, but you're not really supposed to think about her as an active participant. But the more you kind of look at the clues that we've found throughout the story, the fishing line and the, and the saw in the one room and the fact that it was all dusty. That was a clue that was to understand that the room ha- hadn't been used in a while. She's, she's secretly the person who actually gives us the most clues to solve the present day murder while also being the instigator of the previous murder, which is a really cool role for a character to, to actually play. Um, it's very ghost-like the idea of the, the memory of a previous tragedy sticking around to to help deal with the current one.
0: I suppose we should wrap this part of the discussion here and we can jump back in with the mystery section in just a little bit towards the end of the show. Herds, I'm excited. I'm <laughs> tossing up. I'm still at this moment tossing up between what we're going to cover next and maybe I'll even offer you a choice. Oh my goodness. Time. I
1: love choice. That's what makes my life so
0: special. I know you do. This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour. Terrible. More to come. Stick around. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here for your Murder Mystery World Tour, and I am pleased to be joined by Lucy Campbell. She's the author of Low Bridge, her debut crime fiction novel, previously worked as a writer and sub editor across various magazines throughout Sydney and the rest of Australia. And Lucy, it's wonderful to have you here on the show. Congratulations on the release of Low Bridge.
2: Thanks so much, Felix. It's lovely to be here.
0: So, I guess, jumping into the crime fiction world, it's something that I... uh, I always find people tend to come into because of their history with the genre when they were younger. But you were saying to me that uh, just before we came on the mic, that you hadn't been aware that you were joining a tradition of Australian multi-timeline crime fiction novels. So talk to me a little bit about what pushed you into this space and how you stumbled onto Australia's national pastime.
2: (laughs) Well, it was quite strange and it was completely random. I got back into the habit of creative writing, which I used to really enjoy and then sort of, you know, other things got in the way and I hadn't had much time to focus on it. And then, so I was, I was back in the habit of writing only on Fridays, just sort of character sketches and skits and things for my, purely for myself, tuck away in the bottom of the drawer and never see again. Mm-hmm. Then I was down at the local grocer buying milk and there on the milk cartons were pictures of people who had gone missing. And some of them were recent cases and some of them were from 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And it just really got me thinking about, well, firstly, how does someone just walk out of somewhere and disappear like that? Mm. Secondly, what does it do to the family and friends who are left behind? And thirdly, what could the police possibly think that you could discover decades on without DNA that would turn something up. And that was really the beginning of Lowbridge. So I'd never intended to sit down and write a crime fiction novel. It just sort of came out that way. It was so a surprise to me as well.
0: Tess disappearing just after walking out of a grocery store was sort of a nod to that moment.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One of the girls who was on, the, um, on one of the milk cartons had actually been in a Canberra shopping centre in the 80s. Um, and that just got me thinking about how does this happen?
0: Yeah, I think one of the really interesting things about the novel is that You know, a lot of the time when we deal with this multi timeline stuff, we're seeing the same characters in both timelines and how they've grown over the years. But in this one, we're seeing uh, Catherine, our kind of perspective character in 2018 looking back at Tess because of a similar loss in her own life of her daughter Maggie, what was it about having someone explore another person's story that spoke to you?
2: Well, it worked for the character for Catherine, because she needs to find she had to find something to focus on to get over her own loss. So she's drawn to the disappearance of the teenage girl in nineteen eighty seven. But I like the idea of having something someone ordinary looking back and trying to find out what happened partly because of their own curiosity but partly because of their own loss and their own hope that they can change things for someone else that they couldn't change for themselves.
0: Yeah, there's very much the sense that Catherine is is feeding off the hope that she might be able to give to Tess's family and looking for this.
2: Yes, and she hasn't intended it to be that way but she just sort of falls into it and then that becomes important to her and becomes sort of a driver for helping her own recovery, I suppose.
0: I think the other really fun thing is that there's so much discussion early in the book about the fact that Catherine has not been going to get help with other people, like a support group that her therapist recommends of other parents who've lost their children. But she sticks in with Margaret, Colleen and Sylvie, who are very analogous in my mind as a mystery reader to like the side characters in Miss Marple stories who will always sit there and gossip with Miss Marple while she's there solving the case. But it's kind of fun because she gives them a project to work on as well as just having the case itself.
2: Yeah. And originally in one of the early drafts, I'd written Margaret and Colleen and Sylvie as a little bit wishy-washy and bland Mm -hmm. and blah. And then when I was going back over it, I thought they need to be much sharper. They're funny. They've got a lot, but they've also got a lot to offer and they've got this sort of strong feminist history behind Mm. them. They were the original activists to get a women's centre set up in the town. So why, if they had been so strong and powerful and prepared to fight then, would they suddenly have faded into the background now? So I wanted to bring them more into the front and have them involved. I, know,
0: I love the way that they serve as very different sidekicks, but with the same modus operandi for both timelines. In the present tense, they're helping Catherine deal with her trauma. And in the past tense, they're helping Patricia set up this women's center. Yeah. And I really love the way that the novel will introduce something in the past that then recontextualizes what you've just read in the present. It's an excellent execution of that kind of two timeline style. My favorite one definitely being Sylvie. Uh, was it Colleen or Sylvie who goes off at Angus when he's saying that they should back down on the abortion thing I forget forget which one of them it was but that scene was excellent I think
2: she says uh, I hope you're a better lawyer than you are a diplomat because (laughs) yes
0: Yeah, I guess the other thing is, is that, yeah, that women's centre is a huge part of the story and there is a very big feminist bent to the way that we, we're sort of looking at a small town becoming the focus point of a big city issue, particularly in the 1987 story, because we're seeing through the lens of a group of teenage girls, we're seeing people whose moral compass is still growing and in flux.
2: Yeah, so with the teenagers, they were allowed to be... Loose and uncertain, and make mistakes because that's what you do when you're young. And it was quite fun to write them in that way. Like when I look back on the things that we did in the 80s and the things that teenagers (laughs) do now, which really aren't that much different. Um, But I think it's a time when you really are struggling to find out where you fit in the world. Um, And Tess, I think, is slightly stronger. Well, she is much stronger than Sim. She knows right from wrong, whereas I think Sim is a little bit little bit lost there. And Louisa is very much an outsider. She's got her group of friends, but she's not allowed to go to the wild parties. Her parents are migrants and that immediately sort of paints her as an outsider. And I've got a line that Tess has, that Louisa has in the start of the book where the girls are teasing her about what she should do. And um, Tess says to her, you really ought to settle down and marry a nice Italian boy. And she <laughs> says something like, married at 19, living in here Lowbridge for the rest of my life, no thanks. And of course, that's exactly, exactly what, what happens, happens yeah. to her. And she's also turned around from her family's point of view, which was very against the Women's Centre, to being a sponsor and a donor of it. I think in a country town, the people who keep up and stay and see what the community needs that keep the town alive. I
0: guess the the other thing is with like Catherine's story, you know, she goes through this entire ordeal feeding off the hope of someone else. And there is that sort of risk, right, that she's creating false hope that could only make the situation worse for the Doors family. I guess, was there ever a thought for you as a writer that what she was doing was actually going to end up being unhealthy rather than a healing process?
2: I always felt that she had the Doors' best interests at heart, but I did need to pull back on her conversation with Julianne Doors. I think in an early draft, she was just writing in roughshod. Yeah. And I think I probably risked losing the reader's sympathy for her. Um, Because I liked her, but I do think she's quite a difficult character. She's very dogged and determined and brittle, which doesn't always make for the sort of person that people are going to like or relate to. Mm. Um, So I did really have to think about how she approached her relationship, particularly with Julianne, in a softer, more kindly way.
0: Yeah, because, like, we, we are seeing Catherine on her healing journey And a group of people who have been through great suffering helping her through it.
2: Past and the present versions.
0: And so even though we don't necessarily know that their journey in the modern sense is exactly the same, they're sort of providing the same supporting character role for a suffering character.
2: I like that. I'll take that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And I I thought that was so effective, the way that, like... Speaks to community by having people represent each other's stories.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a really good way of thinking about it. And I can't say I did it deliberately, but I'm very happy that you've discovered it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, fantastic. Welcome to the mystery fold, Lucy. It's wonderful to have you. Oh, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure reading through Lowbridge. And we'll, of course, have links up on the podcast if people want to find out more about it. And thank you to Ultimo Press for providing me a copy to read. Thank you for joining us.
2: Oh, thanks so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it.
0: You're listening to Death of the Reader here on 2SER 107.3. We'll be back with more in just a second. Stick around. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your murder mystery world tour. And we are here discussing Death in the House of Rain by Xu Yan Lin. One of uh, many books, Herds, that I first stumbled across on Jim Noy from the Invisible Events 1,000th post, where he recommended 100 locked room books.
1: My goodness. And he recommended Death in the House of the
0: Rain? Yes. And it's the mystery section.
1: Yeah. That's the theme of today's murder mystery discussion. Mm -hmm. Mystery. That's a terrible theme. Please don't (laughs) pick that (laughs) If you ever have to run- some kind of book club where you discuss murder mystery novels. Don't pick mystery as the theme for the week. Oh, it's a goodness. bad idea. That's... <laughs> pick, like, puppies or something. Very, very circular. Or romance.
0: You know what else is circular? The pillar in the middle of the room that <laughs> Tingji Yan is. What murdered. a weird
1: puzzle. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about the pillar. Why does it have a pillar in this one room? Why is it the only room in the house with a pillar? Why do we have to move the
0: desk... Yeah, it has the vibe that it was originally like one bigger room and it was split really unevenly to make more guest rooms, but the house was purpose built so that can't be true.
1: I have seen in several reviews that I, that I read while preparing for this book people were like I could solve the main mystery easily but the last one really puzzled me
0: yeah it's like it is it is renze by trying to commit an actual murder and it sticks out and indicates that it is the actual murder in the book because there is other weirdness that has gone on
1: yeah it's very clear that it's not an accidental death like the person who falls down an elevator shaft the person who gets their scarf stuck in the elevator doors and the person who has their head cut off As the elevator rockets towards the ceiling, like in the opening of Resident Evil 1.
0: Man, you know what? This book really, above all else, is about elevator occupational health and safety. Can I tell you, that's like my favorite part. None of these murders would have happened if these elevators had had safety (laughs) doors. It's not even wrong. I can't be mad
1: because that's 100% what this book is about. Except for that last one, which is like
0: a girl gets poisoned with tea. Why is there rat poison labeled tea?
1: <laughs> is there rat poison? Why is the there tea? poison
0: labeled tea? Uh, it's, it's just unsafe. Honestly,
1: I kind of love that that's the theme of the book is just accidents happen.
0: We've discussed this a bit on the show before, but like one of the difficulties of using death traps in murder mysteries is the device X problem in that you could really make your murder trap device do basically anything so it kind of becomes meaningless by premise. So Zhu Yan has really, like, threaded the needle by making it just a regular appliance without a safety function. There, there are two
1: structural things that I that I like about this book in, the, in that sense of fairness. One is that we see... Through the eyes of either the person who is killed or someone who is very close to the person who is killed at the moment of death. Two, that Ro Ping, when he actually breaks down the murders, he begins by saying, Well, clearly what's happened is that the elevator has been called up by the killer. Yes. And that would still work. If you could find a killer in the book, you could say, theoretically, that they did the murders using the elevator as a weapon.
0: And that's also one of the great things about when Zhang Ya walks into that first locked room, is that we see all of the pieces of Yu Yun's locked room, but we don't even know that she had one. Like, our, our only clue that Yu Yun had that locked room is that Yang, Yu Yun's mother's lover, leaves the building Via the part of the house that that lift was in.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's the other thing, of course, is that there, there are a lot of clues. I remember when you were trying to solve the very first murder, you were looking at how the head has been found at the base of the stairway, which is next to this room where the, the rest of the body was found in. So the proximity there implies traversal. Even though, as you say, this story threads that needle of device X fairness, there are enough clues Hidden amongst everything else that's going in, in in the book, yes, the character drama specifically, it's hidden amongst the character drama to tell you what's going on, which is really impressive.
0: Honestly, yeah, no, it is. It is a very very strong application of something that I would not recommend anyone trying in murder mystery. <laughs>
1: Good luck. If you do, good luck.
0: Yeah. It's difficult to do. I think the other thing that was so interesting is the number of people that I've heard say, including Brad Freeman, who mentioned it uh, just after we finished The Millhouse Murders, saying this book character really didn't have much to do with the story. Mm. And I thought that's, that's so interesting because I definitely understand it, right? Like the, the murderer for three of the murders is a, is an elevator. That you can't, you can't put door. much character into an elevator. <laughs> That's not lost on me, okay? You can
1: draw a big face on it. You can draw a big smiley face on the <laughs> yeah, door. It's got like, yeah. yeah, a big smiley face yeah, yeah. in the back of the lift. It's basically a killer. Yeah, basically. Um, it's like its mouth is opening wide. You draw the face sideways. Uh, <laughs>
0: and and yep. even though there is, like, no sense of real resolution for a lot of the characters in the story, I do still love the way that every murder still feels like it explores some part of the character's psyche. The book uses... Crimes done by no one uh, to explore people. I mean, it, it, it's exploring like
1: the chaos of life, right? Like yes, the the chaos theory that like a, a butterfly flaps its wings in one part of the house, and an elevator cuts a woman's head off in the other part of the house. And that's not even like an exaggeration. That's literally how the first murder happens. And that we can tie to a bad videotape, and that we can tie to an irresponsible guardian figure and we can, you know, tie everything back and back and back to
0: this person's childhood and their parents and, you know, a year ago, all this stuff. Because, like, on on some level, the imagery in the book is ridiculous. Like, the house, the house is the Chinese character for Rain and is three stories tall. It's absurd. It weirdly really reminded me of the video game Riven. I've never played it. It's a point-and-click adventure where you're exploring this weird island where you can travel between books. And the really strong thing about Riven's puzzles is they were huge, expansive. A lot of them didn't really make any specific sense but there was a very distinct piece of imagery that connected one puzzle to the next. If you saw a map with dots on it and you saw these certain colours, there was only one other place where that particular clue applied. And this book did a very similar job of making a bunch of really absurd, strange, out-of-proportion things feel sensible and comprehensible because it was very tight in its application of imagery.
1: Yeah, well, those games like Riven and and Mist and, and those sorts of simple to learn difficult to complete video games their puzzles often take place in expansive locations they use those puzzles and that feeling of connectedness from one puzzle to the next to imply a much larger world
0: than what they could actually render at the time so there you have it folks death in the house of rain is <laughs> like river missed the murder mystery yeah there you go As- I mean,
1: there's already a murder mystery, and I think it's the third one. And I, I love that game. I love that game's ending. It's the only part of the game I've seen.
0: We got two things left to do, Herds. Mm. Oh yeah. One of them is you got to tell me how many points uh, I have. I'll,
1: I'll give, I'll give you all your points. I think you did very well. Oh, I think thank you, you look. Here's the thing. Even before I gave you the 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 fifth chapter, the succulent final murder or actual only actual murder, <laughs> you you were basically on the cusp of figuring it out. Because even, even before I gave you that, you were saying, you know, I don't think that there is a killer, but that can't be right. Anyway, I'll give you the three points that you done very Thank well. Thank you. Well, now what are you, what, what else do you have for me? You have
0: something else in your bag of tricks. I'm taking a bit of a staycation. Staycation. Uh, for the, for the, for the middle of the year. Nice. And I was, I was feeling like having a, a bit of a relaxing time. So I wanted to offer you the Inugami Curse by Seishi Yokomizo which uh, is another Masked Man murder mystery. We, ha- we haven't had enough of those. <laughs> so many, many people's favourites so far from the, uh, the Kosuke Kindaichi yeah. translations, but there are two films that have been made by the same director... Oh, like thirty years apart, mm-hmm. and I would love to watch them both and compare them.
1: I would, I would love to cover the movies. That sounds like a great time. Yeah,
0: it sounds it sounds nice for our staycation. We can snuggle up on the couch next to each yeah, other and, and our drink some warm drinks through through our, our nice wintry movie session. It sounds really good. I'm not gonna
1: put the heater on. You're making me
0: maybe light a fire, me. put out some candles. Feel like
1: I need to put some some sort of heater on. <laughs> that sounds lovely. All right. Well, I'm excited to see if it's aged well. Especially if there's two of them. Because usually when a director makes the same film twice, it's because they want to improve on the previous one. So I'm I'm very... I mean, look, that's not even interesting. That's just, like, why people remake stuff.
0: Also for money. Also money. Well, I mean, that and trying to manipulate copyright law while a large mouse <laughs> that's, stares you, know you down gun in hand. <laughs> We can't, don't draw the mouse here. It will be the end of us. This is Death of the Reader, your murder mystery world tour here on 2SER 107.3. We will see you next week with the Inugami Curse, or the Inugami Clan, I believe one of the films is called. It means dog god.
2: Nice. Thanks you joining us
0: for Xu Yan Lin's Death in the House of Rain, we will catch you then.